Isaiah chapter 9. One of the coolest things about God's word is that it's timeless. And you can read text hundreds of pages on the opposite side of God's word and they can say the same thing. Written thousands of years apart and they say the same thing. So let's check out what Isaiah chapter 9 beginning in verse 1. It's the birth and the reign of the Prince of Peace. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as the day of Midian's defeat, you have shuddered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, and the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. For the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice, righteousness, from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. All right, you can be seated, Tori. Good to have you back. I'm a little prejudiced, but I sure do love having you back to lead us in worship. Thank you so much. Uh, can we give Tori a hand and the rest of the band? Very good to have you guys back and uh, leading us as always. And uh, I promise she came further than anyone else today to be here in service, right? Okay, very good. It is good to have you here. We are getting started with a brand new uh, teaching series. Let's go ahead and play our intro video, and off we go. Today we are beginning with a brand new teaching series called Christmas Light Shines in the Darkness. And uh, it is kind of a statement, but it is also kind of a directive. Um, it is all about the light that we are here in this world shining in the darkness and being a part of lighting our world. As Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. And so we want to just honor that and we want to live up to that very thing that he has commanded us to do. 
By the way, I need to remind you, if you are a teenager, we are having teen class. You guys go ahead and go to the back if you'd like to be a part of that. Uh, and you can be back there uh, with the other teenagers that are there and uh, learning on that uh, kind of level and on that track. Well, I can hardly believe that it is Christmas time already, but yes, it is. Have any of you guys here yet, do a quick little poll, have any of y'all received a Christmas card yet? Anybody get a Christmas card yet? Okay, a handful of you. Um, I've never done Christmas cards. I don't know. I think it's because um, the camera adds 10 pounds, and every time I get a Christmas card, I realize there were at least four cameras on me at that moment. So uh, yeah, you know, one of those things. But yes, very true. Not ever done a Christmas card. If you're ever wondering, why am I not on Pastor Randy's list? Because Pastor Randy doesn't have a list. I'm not supposed to be keeping lists. I'm not putting you on the naughty or the nice list or the Christmas card list. That's not happening. So Christmas cards are coming your way, and this keeps the United States Postal Service in business. But, you know, it's a funny thing about Christmas cards. They are two different ways of viewing this season. They're kind of one of those reminders that we're living in a world where we're celebrating the same event, but we're looking at it in a very different way. Let's just think about that for just a second. There are people who are hardcore and love the Lord, and without a doubt, Christmas is all about Christ. Keep the Christ in Christmas, you know, these kinds of things. Folks like me, to be honest. I mean, when I start thinking about Christmas, I start thinking about Christ, and I start thinking about the light of the world and all these things. You might get a Christmas card from somebody, not me, but somebody like this one that you'll see here on the slide. It looks like this. It's got some sort of religious, you know, kind of depiction on the front of the card, right? But then you have other folks, and you know them, I know them. It's not that they're bad people. They just see the very same event in a very different way. Now, by the way, you can still be a Christian and have Santa on your Christmas card. I just want you to know that. If y'all are like, oh, no, I said Pastor Randy a card with Santa on it. Cool, I'm good with it. Like, I'm glad to get it. So it's all good. But you see the world in a different way, maybe, in different people's viewpoints. And they would probably be sending you a card that might look like something like that, where it's got, you know, snowmen or reindeer or, or Santa or whatever. Like I said, nothing wrong with it. But do you notice what this one says? This one says, believe. It's, 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 it's almost as if there's something about this season that we want it to mean something more, even if we're not willing to attach that meaning to Christ. We as Christians know that this is a time where we celebrate Christ, where the world really does become a little different than it is from year to year. But the truth is, is that even the Christmas movies that you watch, and how many of you guys in here have some favorite Christmas, you don't have to tell me what it is, but how many of you have something that you watch at least every single year? God bless the Hallmark Channel, December keeps them in business every single year. Shelly's up to 12, and we're like three days into the Christmas season. That's a joke. That's sort of, sort of a joke. Um, but here is a hint for the second best Christmas movie ever that has this whole concept of believe as its center. I don't know. Yeah, this is a hint to the second best Christmas. Are there any of you who are into this? It's not just me. Okay. Y'all are childish, and I love you for it. I just want you to know, Santa, I know him, 
right? So, yeah, I love it. <laughs> it's a great, yes, yes. If you did not know, the second best Christmas movie ever is Elf, which can you believe it's been around almost for 20 years? And that's about how long I've been watching it every single year and quoting it to ridiculous degrees. This is one of those movies that's more fun to quote than to watch, right? Okay, but just in case you were wondering what is the best Christmas movie of all time, I'm here just to definitively give it to you and know it is not Die Hard. I'm sorry. Some of you think that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. We're going to need to pray for you. We're going to have an altar of prayer at the end of service for you. But yes, this is the best Christmas movie ever. Can I get an amen if you agree with me? I've got to admit something. Yes, this has stood the test of time. This is It's a Wonderful Life, and it, is, it was put out in 1946. And do yourself a favor. Whatever you do, don't watch the sacrilegious color version. Just watch it in black and white. There's something that adds to the nostalgia. And I have watched this every single year for the entirety of my marriage plus a year or two. Because when Shelly and I started dating, she was like, oh, we got to watch It's a Wonderful Life. And I was like, uh, I've never seen that movie. She was like, oh, I think we're going to have to break up, right? I mean, <laughs> this is Christmas in a little nutshell. But yes, it is so amazing. And I was like, well, I've seen a couple of, you know, him running through the streets of Bedford. Merry Christmas, you know, all that stuff. And you're, every time an angel, you know, every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. Do any of you guys know what I'm talking about? All right, stay with me. No, no, don't leave. Don't, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So <laughs> he's like, I've had it with this mess. I literally cry every single year that I've watched this for almost 30 years now because it is just such an amazing reminder of the lives that are touched whenever people are basically a light of the world. And as we read this passage of scripture uh, just a few minutes ago from Isaiah chapter 9, it speaks so dramatically to our world. It seems like it's so different and so distant, but it's really not. He says in Isaiah, Isaiah writes the words and pins the words predicting that Jesus would come to a world that was enveloped in deep darkness. He said that those who are dwelling in the land of deep darkness have seen a great light. And even in our deluded world, even in a place where maybe half the population doesn't necessarily celebrate Christmas the same way that we would, see the same meaning in it that we would as Christians, there is still something different about Christmas. Even if you are hardcore in your secular beliefs and distant from Christianity and its beliefs, the truth is, is there's still something different about Christmas and there's something different about our world for about those four or five weeks just before, you know, just after Thanksgiving and then right about the, about the new year. And it's just a little different and it reminds us that there's a glimpse of light in the darkness. And this is the theme of the messages that we're going to be sharing over the next three or four weeks. And it is so important that you grasp and understand that it is true that Jesus did come to be the light. But I also take the title as a mandate for us that if we are truly the light that Jesus commanded us to be, that we had best be and should be constantly shining in the darkness. There should be at least one point of light 
somehow, some way in your circle of friends, you should be a light that shows that there is something different about the Christmas season and about Christ in a person's life. Light shines in the darkness. It's not just what was past. It is what is supposed to be happening right now. If you guys are with me, y'all say amen. Okay. So here's what I'm trying to convey and trying to kind of drill down on. The light that shines in the darkness is our opportunity. And let's be very, very clear. You know, if I were to turn on a flashlight right now, you'd say, oh, I I see it. It's on, you know. But if we douse all of the stage lights and all of the sconce lights and all of the lights that are out there and everything else was off, and then I took a flashlight and clicked it on, you'd say, wow, yeah, I can really see that light, right? I mean, you just know that in the darker night, (laughs) the light shines the brightest. Can I say something to us as Christians? We are so busy cursing the darkness that we never even stop to light a candle, as the old saying goes. And the truth of the matter is, is that when we are sitting here going, well, you know, the world's such a dark, dark place. Well, congratulations, you don't even have to be that great at shining your light to make a big impact in an incredibly dark world. The smallest little things with God's grace with his fingerprints on those and multiplying those efforts, just the smallest amount can make a big impact because there's just so little light out there. So the light that shines in the darkness is not just simply those things that happen as Isaiah predicted them, as Jesus fulfilled them, as he commanded them on the Sermon on the Mount to be the light of the world. They are happening today when we as Christians cease to be on the sidelines and instead roll up our sleeves and get involved in being the light of the world, not just because it's the end of November and through the month of December, but as we take it and we say, the light shines in the darkness and that's my job, that's our job. And whatever happens when Jesus comes back, I wanna make sure that I'm on task being a light for a deep, dark place. So as we move on, Let's not forget what we are kind of looking at in our world. And it is almost like we can speak the same language at this time of year in a very powerful way. Now, first, let me just tell you that some of the things that I'm going to be sharing over the next couple of weeks through December 19th, it comes from this book called Hidden Christmas by Timothy Keller. I'm going to read a couple of quotes here in just a few moments because it's a powerful book. It is really one that would be a blessing to you. If you are interested in the Audible version, you can get it on Audible. Uh, you can get it on audiobook. You can purchase it uh, and, and whatever you want to do. But basically, this whole entire book can be read in about three hours and 30 minutes if you're listening to it via audio. If you read faster or slower, I don't know. But it is a short book, but I will tell you, it is powerful. It is a great book that you can go a little deeper and kind of retrieve and buy back some of that meaning that Christmas has been missing. In this book, Timothy Keller mentions how dramatic and different our world starts to look, even in the physical realm, as lights kind of show up in everywhere, in every corner. And let's be honest, New York City is not exactly the place that you go to find, you know, Christianity on full display. It's not exactly the Bible Belt, but you begin to look at New York City and it starts looking different, right? I mean, isn't that beautiful? I, I, got, I got New York, I can be there for about three days and then I'm done. 
done. Can I get an amen? Is there anybody else who's like that? If you're from New York, no offense. All right, but just not for me. But this interests me. I'm ready to go see the Rockefeller Christmas tree. I've put out to this one woman named Shelly that she can take me anytime she wants to, you know, wine and dine me, whatever, that's fine. Uh, She can take me to the Rockefeller Christmas tree in New York City. Have any of you guys ever seen this? Can I see your hands? Any of y'all ever seen it? You. It had to to be you. Chris Kaczynski from New York City had to be him. Of course he's seen it. It's awesome, right? It's incredible. And, and, And Give me a guesstimate on how tall the Christmas tree is. We're just, nobody's watching. We're just having a conversation. Just me and you, man. (laughs) 30 feet. Oh my goodness. So that means it's basically as tall as the peak of EHC. Every time you walk in, the very peak of the tallest part of EHC is roughly about 30 to 35 feet. So anyway, there it is. It's an incredible thing. And you know, I actually took a little picture of my house and what that looks like. It's here on this next slide. Uh, Just a small... uh, picture of my little enclave that I, okay, that's in River Oaks. It's not me. I'm just joking. Um, But yes, starts to look different, doesn't it? You've seen that. This is part of what I love about uh, Houston, you know, the live oak trees all wrapped and I'll do a horrible job on doing my live oak tree, but it will be wrapped, right? You go to this next slide and you can see, have any of you guys ever paid to go see lights before during Christmas? I've gone over here to Constellation Field. What is the deal with light in this season? It's because light captures the essence of this season. And whenever Jesus is predicted in Isaiah chapter 9 to come, he says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. To those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. It is a different kind of season, and it's kind of encapsulated and captured by the, the lights that we see. And so next time you see the lights, you'll know what it's all about. Let's go to this next slide as we go forward. This is our something to learn. In scriptures and even in our modern society, darkness is a symbol of both evil and also of ignorance. You guys have heard of the dark ages. There's so much of in our history that we just don't know that anything was going on, any kind of real advancements were happening. We call those the dark ages because there just was you know, century on century on century where there either lost or never existed any kind of real advancement. It was the dark ages because it, symboled, it was symbolizing the ignorance of the time. There just wasn't the ability to learn in the way that there is now. It's evil and ignorance. And when the scripture says that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, it means that freedom from both of those things has come. It means freedom from ignorance of our own selves as who we are and freedom from the evil that wants to pull us in a different direction than God would have us to go. Let's go to our next slide here. And this is John chapter one, verse one through five. And if you look you understand what is happening here. It says, John is speaking, and he actually uses a word that is a Greek word called logos. It is meaning the eternal wisdom, that thing which is preexistent. That's why it's capitalized in every version. John writes, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then it says, he, that, that word, that eternal word, he as a person, was with God in that beginning. And through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the what? Light of all mankind. And then listen to this. The light 
shines in the darkness. Does this sound familiar to you? The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It also could be interpreted that little a I left in there on purpose because sometimes a Greek word or an English word can be interpreted in two different ways. It says the darkness has not overcome it, but can also be interpreted as saying the darkness did not comprehend it. And how true is it that when Jesus came, even though he was the light in a very dark world, those who were his opponents could not understand that he could possibly be God and man at the same time. The darkness and those enveloped in that darkness could not comprehend it but they also could not overcome it. The evil and the ignorance were both defeated as Jesus came and became a baby, God's form in a man's body. It is an amazing thing that is too much for us to grasp or comprehend. Here's a couple of things that Timothy Keller says in the book. And let's just kind of read this and then the next slide, as you can see, is gonna keep going. So he says something powerful that we need to grasp. He says that we as Christians, and you've got to be very, very careful that we catch what is happening and that we as human beings be honest with ourselves about what Christmas actually means. It's the hidden part of Christmas that we might not talk about, but it is absolutely fully on display if we'll just pay a little bit of attention. He says, so what's going on here? They, meaning mankind, are looking towards the earth and human resources to fix the world. They're looking towards experts, to the mystics, to the scholars for solutions. Yes, they say, we are in darkness, but we can overcome it ourselves. People make the same claim today. Some look more to the state, meaning politics and politicians. Some more to the market, meaning economically and those kinds of things. And everyone seems to look to technology. Yet they all share the identical assumption that things are dark, but we believe we can end that darkness with intellect and innovation. In other words, we have the light within us, so we are the ones who can overcome and dispel the darkness of this world, and we can overcome poverty, injustice, violence, and evil. This is the prevailing thought in a modern man or a modern woman's head. But let me just say something to you. If you go back and look at human history, look at how much peace on earth and goodwill toward men there has been in this earth's history. Let's just think about this for just a moment. Let's go to this next slide. You can see, this is from HowStuffWorks.com, what was the most peaceful time in history? They go on and they talk about the Pax Romana, which is the the time where Jesus was born right after uh, the Pax Romana. And at the very end of that, he was there in in his time where he was ministering. They have said that there is the Pax Romana. They have said different things. But most people who look at human history and kind of add it up and figure out this war in this place overlapped with this war in this place and this conflict spread from this place to that place and on and on and on. Can you imagine this next slide? Let's go to this next slide. The Personnel Journal shared this statistic. Since the beginning of recorded history, the entire world has been at peace less than 8% of the time. Now, stop for just a second. How many of you know that if you do something only 8% of the time, that is not the norm, that is the exception? Can I see your hand? I mean, I don't want Shelly to love me and do good to me 8% of the time, and then the other 92, I'm on my own, right? 
You don't want that either because that's the exception, not the rule. In other words, if we think that we're the ones who are going to bring peace on earth and goodwill toward men, if we can just do fill in the blank, I'm here to tell you that you've got thousands of years of human history that are telling you you are not actually factually basing that opinion. You might feel it, you might want it, but factually, we do not do peace on earth, goodwill toward men very well. Amen? Isn't that right? I mean, we do a pretty bad job at this. It says, in its study, the periodical discovered that 3,530 years of recorded history, only 286 years saw peace, and over 8,000 peace treaties were made only to be broken. We don't do peace on earth, goodwill toward men. We just don't seem to do it or sustain it. But we go to this next slide, and we see something that we even go a little deeper Think about the Mexico cartel violence that's going on. This is the number of homicides in Mexico on the left in one year by those who are killing folks so that they might have more money. 22,500 in 2019, approximately 34,500, and I didn't misprint it. They basically think that 34,583 and 34,523 were the two years in a row. That's ridiculous numbers of people being killed. Do you think that people in Mexico right now find peace on earth and goodwill toward men? I would say not. But let's not pretend that that's them and that's not us. In Chicago, the gang violence is causing us in one single American city, supposedly at the apex of humanity in its ways. 765 people died in 2017, 2018, 653, and 563. I didn't misplace those. Those are actual statistics. There is not peace on earth, goodwill toward men, even though there's not an armed conflict. By the way, That Mexico conflict was not uh, called a war until just within the last three or four years, but has been going on since 2008. We don't do peace on earth, goodwill toward men very well until, until we as human beings grasp that those who have been walking in darkness can and have seen a great light. They've seen a different way. And we need to be the examples of God's light in our world because there's just so few things happening. So let's go to this next slide. And this is our big idea. Christmas shows us that Jesus came into our world to dispel our darkness. He came in to dispel our darkness as human beings, but he also came in to dispel our darkness as individuals. He came into our world because we could not do it on our own. Human history showed very clearly, and even since he's been here, that we cannot do it on our own. And you know what? It is very important for us to grasp that as much as we like to talk about presence and all these different things, the presence of God in our world is a reminder that he came, not because it was be a cool story, but because it was absolutely essential for humanity to be saved. If we were ever going to be saved from ourselves, he had to come into our world, become one of us, die, and then be ro- uh, risen again from the grave so that we might live. This is the story of Christmas that gets hidden in our consumerism. You guys with me? Amen. 
All right, so here we go. Very quickly, we're going to say the big idea together. Uh, let's go back to there. Christmas shows us that Jesus came into our world to dispel our darkness. On the count of three, you guys join me. Ready? One, two, three. Christmas shows us that Jesus came into our world to dispel our darkness. And don't miss these next couple of things that I want to share with you. History makes it abundantly clear that left to our own devices, we don't have the capacity to dispel the darkness of our world. On a grand scale, it is true. But can I make it more personal? Let's go to this next slide. Our own personal history makes it abundantly clear that left to our own devices, we do not have the capacity to dispel the darkness of our own worlds. Now I'm going to get personal with you. Now I'm going to make you feel a little uncomfortable because you are probably an awful lot like me. That you know that just like my feet... <laughs> <laughs> I know some of this, sometimes I make y'all nervous, right? Do I ever make y'all nervous when I get all the way out here like this? I'm, I'm just this close to falling off the edge, right? And so you're like, oh, 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 it's so close. Randy, just pay attention. You don't have to be that close because you're right there on the edge. Yes, this has a meaning. This is true that in my spiritual life, in my relational life, and in my financial life, and in my emotional life, oftentimes I am just right on the edge. And I'm one or two bad decisions away from blowing up the things that I have built for centuries, not centuries, decades, sorry. Just, I know I'm getting older, but I'm not living for centuries, just decades, right? So you understand what I'm saying? You guys with me? Maybe even today, as I speak about this, you know that you're on a precipice and maybe you don't have that solid footing. I'm here to tell you that just as the light came to shine in humankind's darkness, he came to shine in your individual darkness. You do not have to lose the battle that will give you consequences that you do not want to have in your life. All you have to do is say, you know what? Lord, save me. I'm on the edge and I realize that I am just a bad decision or a bad day or the wrong choices away from getting off of the edge and being in a very dangerous and very bad place. It is so important you don't miss. He came to save mankind, but he came to save you and he came to save me. And you can't have one without the other. But sometimes we focus on, he, he's the light of the world. I'm here to tell you, he's here to be the light of your world. Don't miss the light that shines in the darkness that prevents you from going too close to the edge and then taking a tumble and being someone who's ruined the things that they care most about. You know, it's a funny thing. What we turn to in our world, we turn to politics and politicians. And isn't it funny that, you know, all the problems didn't go away when we changed out our, our, our Senate and our uh, House and our president. <laughs> Strange. This is not a political statement, except for I don't like any of them. <laughs> because none of them have the answers. You might think one's got a better answer than the other. I give you that. I understand that. But can I tell you, neither one of them is going to fix our world. They never have. They never will. If you are waiting on politicians to fix your world, you're going to be waiting a long time. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, they'll, they'll separate you from your money pretty quickly if you let them. I promise you. But they will not fix our world. They have not. 
They have not. They will not. Some of us turn to technology and medical advances. That stuff comes and goes. And you know what? Death is still out there even no matter how good the medicine gets and no matter how good the iPhones are, there's still problems, right? What about those people who think if we just get a little more educated, everything would change? No, no, no. No, we've had a better access to education than ever and yet we still have some of the very same problems and some of those problems are even expanding in our world. It is not about these things. We turn to these things thinking they will fix us. No. Can I tell you one other thing? If any of these things could fix us, Jesus did not have to come and be born in the first place. I know that sounds like sacrilege. I know it sounds like, Randy, you're crazy. You're, you're a preacher. You're not supposed to say stuff like that. If we could do it ourselves, he didn't have to come. He didn't have to live a perfect life. He didn't have to get up on a cross and let people spit on him and tear him down and beat him to death and then throw him in a borrowed grave. He didn't have to do any of that stuff if we could just rely on any of these folks or any of these means, but it is not going to work because it never has and it never will because human beings are broken and flawed and we don't need these things. We need a savior of our souls. What else do we turn to? We also turn to a non-religious society. Well, if we could just say that there is no such thing as sin, we don't have to worry about it anymore. I'm here to tell you that the society and what it believes to be sin or doesn't believe has not changed our society. We still have the same problems and issues and the elusive idea of more. Can I just tell you that most of us fall into that last category? We think that if we had more money, then we'd be okay. Or if we had more time, then we'd be fine. Or we, if we had a more cooperative spouse, or if our children were bo- more of this or more of that, then everything would be better for us. So we turn to all of these elusive ideas and none of them fix the human heart because we will never fix ourselves. Let's go to this next slide. And again, I think we're here. Uh, if you are feeling this, I want to tell you, Do yourself a favor, and at this moment, turn and seek the light of Christ. If you feel darkness creeping in emotionally, turn to the Lord. If you're feeling it creeping in spiritually, stop and turn to the Lord. If you're feeling it creeping in relationally, don't seek the answer somewhere else. Instead, stop and say, he didn't come to save and be the light for all mankind. He came to be the light in this dark situation that I am in the middle of. He did not come for all of us. He came for every single one of us, one at a time, every single human heart, one by one by one. Very quickly, something else that we can learn here is that the narratives of Jesus' birth, the surrounding stories are all contained in just four chapters. And that's even dealing with Matthew chapter 1, which is mostly the genealogy of Jesus. In Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2, it is all about those birth narratives. They're very short, and in the grand scheme of the Bible, there's not really a lot there. But they are absolutely life-changing. There's prophecy, there's additional perspectives on these events that are found elsewhere. And although these things are very, very short, they're absolutely life-altering. That's why December is different, because the light of the world came, and this is the story of what it was. Let's go to this next slide. In Galatians chapter 4, 
verse 4 and 5, the Bible says, When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. In other words, no matter who you are, what your background is, no matter what you've done or what you're living right now, you have the opportunity to be welcomed into the family of God because of what Jesus did whenever the fullness of time came. God said, now it's time, son. They're watching for you. They're looking for you. And it is now time. Go and be the light of the world. Now, let's go to this next quote from Timothy Keller. And he says, when you say that doctrine doesn't matter, what matters is that you live a good life. That is a doctrine. (laughs) Being able to do it on your own is a doctrine. The doctrine of salvation by your works rather than God's grace. It assumes that you are not so bad and that you need a savior, that you are not so weak, that you can't pull yourself together and live as you should. And then let's go to the next slide here. You're actually espousing a whole set of doctrines about the nature of God, the nature of humanity, and the nature of sin. And the message of Christmas is that they are all wrong. I've got horrible news, and I've got great news. What do y'all want first? The horrible news? All right. All right. All right. The horrible news is, is that you and I are wholly, totally shot through with sin. There's nothing in ourselves that can change that. No matter how good we try to be, we can only control what cannot be cleansed and washed away on our own. That's horrible news. The great news is that God sent his son because he knew we couldn't do it on our own. So we don't have to do it on our own. We have to just simply say, God, your grace is sufficient. You came not so that I could be perfect, but that I could be made perfect in God's sight because of what you did, despite what I have already done. This is not just the example of all of the Christmas story, but it is also the example of human history. We can't do it on our own. We need a savior. That's why the light was predicted to come and why the light shines in the darkness and why if you were a person who's tried it all, hung your hopes on everything else and have not found what you thought you'd find, I'm promising you, you don't need more. You don't need technology. You don't need politicians. You don't need any of these other things. The thing that will save you is the savior of the world and the light of the world. He has predicted in Isaiah chapter nine, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light for on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned for unto us. A child is born to us, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders and he will be called. Can y'all read these last four with me? He will be called what? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. (laughs) Wonderful counselor. How many of you need a wonderful counselor today? Somebody who can lead you and guide you in the right way. How many of you need a mighty God who can help you when you need help and your resources are done? How many of you need somebody who will always be there, the everlasting father who never lets you go and never turns his back on you? And how many of you need the prince of peace to invade the dark places in your mind and in your heart and bring peace that only God can give? Man, all of these descriptions are descriptions only of God himself. And yet, what does the Bible say? 
A child is going to be born and he's going to be called all of these things. This child will grow up to be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father and the prince of peace. He came and fulfilled it all because we could do none of it for ourselves. How do you apply this message? You apply by seeing the light for who he is. Now, not what it is, but who he is. The light of the world is truly the savior of the world. And he is there for you and for me. And then you see the light for who he is and respond to it. But also you share the light with the people that you know that are walking in darkness. Can I say something? I want to just share with you that there is something about Christmas time that reminds us that all of us have needs in ways that we often forget that are universal. At these times, there are more people struggling and dealing with depression and frustration and hurt and disappointment than ever before. Why? I don't know fully why. I think it's because they believe that others are experiencing these wonderful things happening in their life and yet they are not. But here's what I do know. Ultimately, you and I are called to be the light of the world. And we're called to be an example in this dark place that people who are walking in deep darkness see a glimmer of hope and see a light. He is the one who fulfilled all of the scriptures that had been written about him in the Old Testament for literally centuries and centuries before he came. We need to see the light for who he is, and then we need to share the light with the people who are walking in darkness. Let's go to this next slide here. 